Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Today we are discussing abortion. Now we have discussed abortion many times on this show. I encourage you to go back and uh, listen to previous episodes. Episode 113 talks about uh, the spiritual battle that we face. Those of us who are on the pro-life side when we are talking about abortion and we, or when we are talking to people who advocate for abortion, uh, there was an episode called Calling Evil Good, I believe, that was about the New York legislation specifically. We've talked about the Georgia legislation, the Alabama legislation. We have talked about abortion a lot. Today, this is going to be just like all of the other all of the other episodes that you guys have heard this summer. This is going to be a, a basic kind of introduction into what abortion is and how to combat some of the most uh, common lies or common arguments that you hear for abortion. So I don't have to pretend that I don't already have my mind made up on this. You guys know this is something that I'm extremely passionate about, that I have been arguing for uh, the sanctity of unborn life for a very long time. I do it in speeches. I do it on my podcast. I do it on television. I do it in articles. It is something that is so clear to me that it's very hard for me sometimes to wrap my mind around how the other side thinks until, as we discussed on episode 113, when we discuss spiritual warfare, until you realize this is not uh, a flesh and blood battle. This is truly a spiritual battle. And you just have to understand that people are being deceived. That's the bottom line. And if you don't believe me, hopefully you will agree with me uh, by the end of this episode. There is truly, truly not a single logical argument, not a single good argument that I have heard for abortion now. There could be some very sophisticated academic arguments out there that I haven't heard. I obviously would not find them persuasive, but maybe I would find them somewhat logical. I just have not found that. And look, I look for good arguments for the other side of things. I really do because I want to know how to respond to them. So I don't just pick out stupid arguments and say, well, this is what the other side thinks. No, I see it as beneficial to myself and to my side of an issue to really fully and accurately understand what the best arguments are for the other side of the issue because I think it makes me stronger in my position. It makes me better at having a dialogue about these things. It makes me more thoughtful. And I think all of those things are good. So just understand if you are a pro-choicer listening to this or if you are a pro-lifer listening to this, it doesn't matter. And you think that I'm someone who just hyperbolizes the other side or who doesn't understand the other side, who hasn't really thought about the other side. Know that that is an incorrect assessment. I think that it is not beneficial to me at all to misrepresent the other side of any issue, including abortion. So while I am passionate about my position and I'm passionate about the rightness of my position on this issue, my desire is not to mischaracterize the pro-choice position. It's not to exaggerate it and it's not to lie about it. Um, I, I promise you that. I don't see that as positive in any way for either side of this. So as I'm going through these things, know that I am trying to be as accurate and as exact as possible in what the pro-choice side says and believes. That doesn't mean I'm not going to offer my opinion. This whole thing is going to be what I think about abortion. But uh, I, I I don't have any desire to, like I said, lie or deceive you in any way about what the other side uh, thinks. 
uh, even though you already know uh, my position on this, just know that I am giving as much deference as possible to the other side. Uh, I don't I don't even need, honestly, to exaggerate the other arguments because I find them so easy to refute. Uh, so just understand that as we're going into this. Okay, guys, I got to tell you about Simply Safe. So I didn't know this. I did not know this. But the majority of break-ins of burglaries happen between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. And so you think of these things happening like at midnight or, you know, early, early in the morning. But that's not true. They happen between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. And what's crazy is that only one in five homes have home security. Only one in five homes. Maybe because most companies don't make it that easy. There's just a lot of complications and a lot of complexities that come with getting a security system. But that is why Simply Safe is the top choice for home security. So let me tell you about Simply Safe. It protects your entire home, every window, room, and door with 24/7 monitoring at just a fraction of the cost of your normal security systems. Uh, their police dispatch is up to 3.5 times faster because they use video ver uh, verification. So a lot of the concern that you have sometimes is if you call the police when someone is breaking in or if your alarm goes off, how fast is it going to be able to notify the police? How fast are the police able to get there? But this is 3.5 times faster, which is awesome. There's also no contract when it comes to Simply Safe. There are no hidden fees. There's no fine print. Um, it's really easy to order. It's easy to set up, usually in under an hour. Simply Safe has won all kinds of awards from CNET to the New York Times wire cutter. Uh, the prices for Simply Safe are always fair, they're always honest. And uh, the around the clock monitoring is only $15 a month. That is unheard of. So make sure that you visit simplysafe.com slash Allie. When you do, you will get free shipping and a 60 day risk free trial. You really don't have anything to lose. It's a great deal. So go to simplysafe.com slash Allie. My name is spelled A-L-L-I-E. So they know that I sent you. That is simplysafe.com slash Allie. So let's talk about what is abortion. Uh, so I just decided to take the definition given to me by Google. So if I just type in on the search bar, uh, what is abortion to Google? Here is what it gives me. The deliberate termination of a human pregnancy, most often performed during the first 28 weeks of pregnancy. Well, that's just amazing for many reasons. And we'll talk about one of the reasons in a little bit, but uh the first 28 weeks of pregnancy, like that is really far along. By 27 weeks, you've been feeling your child move for at least seven weeks. So there's no denying at that point what this is inside your room. But again, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Um, if you go to PlannedParenthood.com, and so they're the largest abortion provider, obviously, in the country. And if you look for what happens during an abortion, here is what their website will tell you. So it says, suction abortion is the most common kind of abortion procedure. A nurse or doctor may give you medication to help open your cervix before abortion. Uh, sometimes they also put small dilator sticks called laminaria into the opening of your cervix a day or a few hours before your procedure. The laminaria absorbs absorb fluid from your body. It's amniotic fluid, by the way, uh, and get bigger, which slowly stretches your cervix open. 
Then uh, they examine your uterus. They put a speculum in to see your vagina, inject a numbing medication into or near your cervix, stretch the opening of your cervix with a series of dilating rods if you haven't had them put in earlier, insert a thin tube through your cervix into your into your uterus, use a small handheld suction device or suction machine to gently take the pregnancy tissue out of your uterus. Uh, They may also use a small surgical tool called a curette to remove any tissue that's left in your uterus or check to make sure your uterus is totally empty. So if you will notice uh, what is missing from these definitions is any mention of what or who is actually being removed here. Uh, Google defines abortion as the termination of a pregnancy. Planned Parenthood defines abortion as gently taking the pregnancy tissue out of your uterus. So it should at least make you curious. If you are a pro-choice person, right away, Uh, When you observe that our greatest source and purveyor of information, Google, and the largest abortion provider in the country, Planned Parenthood, are obscuring what abortion actually is. Even if you are pro-choice, even if you are on the side that advocates for abortion, you should wonder if this really isn't so bad. If abortion really isn't that big of a deal, then why can't we say what it actually is? Uh, You understand no matter what side you're on, what an abortion does. It doesn't just end a pregnancy, though technically it does that, but what is the ending of a pregnancy? Uh, uh, Planned Parenthood describes it as removing pregnancy tissue or removing remaining tissue out of the uterus. Uh, It takes a human being, this is what abortion does. You, you, You know what it does. It takes a human being that was alive and growing, whether it is at six weeks gestation or 20 weeks gestation and kills him or her. I mean, that's it. Uh, That's not an exaggeration. That's not unscientific language. That's as scientific and as exact as it gets. Um, If what is inside a pregnant woman is not alive, then that's not an abortion. That's a miscarriage. If what is inside a pregnant woman is not a human being, then she is not pregnant and there is no need for an abortion, okay? So we know that it is an alive human being if a woman is pregnant and uh, she is getting an abortion. If a woman is pregnant, then scientifically, medically, exactly speaking, she is pregnant with a living human being, okay? That's just basic logic. It's really amazing that in 2019, we are going over this. So it does not matter if you are pro-choice. That is the unmistakable reality that you have to accept. If you can't accept that, then you should ask yourself as a logically thinking person, why do I find myself unable to come to terms with a scientific reality? If taking the life of a human being in any way makes your stomach churn or makes you feel defensive or angry or makes you emotional, if you find yourself ignoring the scientific reality in exchange for emotional arguments like my body, my choice, you should ask yourself, really, why? Uh, You should also be asking yourself why if abortion really isn't that big of a deal, if abortion is just a choice that some women make uh, and then get on with their lives, if it's nothing more than a trip to the dentist, why can't Planned Parenthood or Google say what it is? Why do they have to use euphemisms? Why can't they be more clear about it? Why do they ignore, in both of their definitions, the existence of a fetus? If the fetus if the fetus doesn't exist, again, this is not an abortion. They say it ends a pregnancy, true, but how? 
Uh, Planned Parenthood tells you what the procedure is like for you, but any curious person, no matter their political leanings, uh, should wonder what what does it do to the fetus? How does the fetus die so that you're no longer pregnant? Um, and this is not just Google and Planned Parenthood. Uh, this is the entirety of the pro-choice side, the use of euphemisms in an effort to obscure what actually happens in an abortion. There's not just one person involved. There's not even just two people involved, not just the woman and the doctor. Having an abortion, by definition, is the ending of a pregnancy. Pregnancy, by definition, means that you have a human being inside of you if you are a human being. That is just basic biology. Um, Choice, reproductive rights, own body, autonomy, freedom, health care, All of these terms in regards to abortion do the same thing. They obscure that another human being is involved. Yes, you do have a choice. You do have reproductive rights. You do have autonomy over your own body. You do have freedom to do with your body what you will. You can have access to health care. But all of that is redefined. All of that looks very different when it is no longer just your body involved, but someone else's too. And from the point of conception onward, there is another body inside you, whether you like it or not, whether you acknowledge it as another body or not. Again, that is a scientific reality. That is not a religious perspective. That is not a moral position. That is a fact. From the moment of conception, there's a human being with distinct DNA who, unless aborted or miscarried, will grow into a fully formed baby and Lord willing, a toddler, a teenager, an adult, etc. Every single one of us, all of you listening to this podcast, me, everyone in the entire world was once a zygote, okay? That is simply a stage of development. That is not a degree of humanity. We don't become more human the older that we get. We often hear from the pro-choice side that an unborn child is not a human. Well, that is unscientific nonsense. No doctor or scientist, no matter how pro-choice they are, will tell you that when a woman is pregnant, she may or may not be pregnant with a human. Uh, Never in all of history, Has a woman ever been pregnant with anything except a human being? Any member of the homo sapien species from the point of conception to the point of death is a human being. And even after death, they're still a human being. It does not make sense to arbitrarily assign humanity to someone whenever we see fit. Again, that is emotional, that is illogical, that is unscientific hogwash. Every adult living today was once a human zygote. It is just an early stage of development unless you are willing to say that a newborn is less human than a toddler simply because the newborn isn't as developed as the toddler, which of course would be illogical. There is no reason for you to say that a newborn is more human than a zygote. Same thing if you said that a 25-year-old is more uh, human than a 17-year-old because their frontal lobe is more developed or they're, yeah, they're more human than that doesn't make any sense. Uh, Now, what pro-choice people really mean, what they actually mean when they say that a fetus is not a human is that a fetus is not a person. Uh, Human is a scientific term that cannot be refuted. Person 
is a philosophical term that ascribes value and in America guarantees you basic rights. Uh, That is why abortion legislation, whether it's New York's pro-abortion legislation or Georgia or Alabama's uh, anti-abortion legislation, defines a person, not a human, because any sane person knows what a human being is from the point of conception, but a person. Uh, New York defines a person as a human being outside the womb. Georgia defines a person as a human being with a heartbeat, which typically starts at six weeks gestation. Now, states do have a right to define personhood. Uh, So the question we should ask ourselves, when does a human being become a person and why? Uh, Well, here's the plain truth. I don't know any other way logically to think about this. Defining a human as a person any point after conception is arbitrary and therefore doesn't make any sense and therefore is immoral. So if you say that a human zygote isn't a person, okay, why? When does a zygote turn into a person? When they have a heartbeat? Okay, well, why does a heartbeat define personhood? The zygote is still alive if the woman hasn't miscarried. Like we've already noted, we all start out out as zygotes. So why logically uh, does a zygote magically become a person when they have a beating heart? And who, who says that? You? Do you say that? Um, most pro-choicers are okay with abortion though, after the heartbeat, far after the heartbeat has already been detected. So if it's not when the heartbeat starts that a human being becomes a person, when is it? When the baby can feel pain? So like 16 weeks or a little after that? Okay. Why? Uh, is an adult that is under anesthesia or are they any less of a person? Uh, is it viability? Uh, when a baby can live outside the womb, so around 24 weeks, uh, is that when they become a person? Why then? There are plenty of adults with special needs who are dependent on machines and their parents to survive. Are they not people? Is it when the baby exits the birth canal? Is that when they become a person? So they weren't a person five seconds before that? So it would have been okay to kill them five seconds before they were born? They're not people? They're not people then? Who says? You? Do you determine that? Why? So as you can probably see, assigning personhood to, to a human being any, at any point after the point of conception becomes really arbitrary. It becomes subjective. And even what I would call superstitious, um, it's based on nothing but your own feelings. And when we're talking about a human life, it probably makes the most sense that we should be exact about it, that it shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't be playing the game of determining uh, what innocent, helpless humans get to live and die based on our own subjective feelings. That just makes the most sense. Because if you carry that reasoning out to its logical conclusion, you see that people determining who gets to live and die based on their own subjective standards of personhood hasn't turned out very well throughout history. Uh, Any human rights atrocity that you can think of from slavery to the Holocaust has been justified by people who decided that a certain type of human was not a person by their standards and therefore didn't have value and therefore was okay to kill. Uh, So if you are pro-choice and you find yourself doing the same thing, ask yourself why you feel the need to deny reality to make yourself feel better. Why do you feel the need to either deny that abortion into life and revert to the uh, anti-intellectual, my body, my choice thing? Why? It's not just your body. Therefore, it's not just about your choice. 
Um, and say you are a pro-choicer who is honest with yourself. You acknowledge that a zygote, a fetus, an unborn child is in fact a human being. Okay, good. So you've entered into the realm of scientific reality. Um, now, will you come to terms with the fact that a human is a person? Um, and this isn't just based on how you feel. It is what makes sense. Because remember, any reasoning that you give for why a human in the womb is not a person can probably be applied to human beings outside of the womb. So age, size, location, dependency, sentience, self-consciousness, these are all characteristics that describe many humans outside the womb too, uh, particularly babies or people with special needs. So if you're willing to say that an unborn human is not a person because they are at an early stage of development, uh, then ask yourself if logically you would say that, as we've already said, a teenager is less of a person than a 25-year-old. If not, then why? Uh, if you are willing to say that an unborn human is not a person because they are small, uh, because they're in their mom's body, they're dependent on the mother, they're not sentient, they're not self-conscious, ask yourself why logically... Logically, a human being's size, location, level of dependency, and intellectual capacity makes them any less of a person. Because again, these are all characteristics of people outside the womb too. Are you okay with killing them for these reasons? If not, why? Your answer is probably because they're not in their mom's body. Well, you've just gone back to your faulty illogical definition of personhood. Why does someone's location or level of dependency determine their personhood, their value, or whether or not they live or die? And where does that end? And who decides that? Is it you? Uh, so if any of these factors do make someone any less of a person in your mind, then I would say congratulations. You now share the mindset of every eugenicist that has ever lived. A eugenicist is someone who believes in, in purifying society by killing certain members who are not adding enough value. Typically includes mentally disabled, the elderly, the poor, and of course, in the case of the Holocaust, some religions and races too. So that's uh, something that you should maybe consider. Uh, and I just want you to be really honest with yourself. Could it be, could it be, just have a moment of frankness, could it be that you've been lied to? Could it be that Planned Parenthood, the largest abortion provider in the country, aborting more than 300,000 babies a year, a donator of millions of dollars to the Democratic to Democratic campaigns, an organization uh, founded by Margaret Sanger, who was, an out, who was outspoken about abortion being the solution to eliminating, quote, Negroes, uh, is publishing propaganda and calling it PR? Could that be? Could it be that they're pushing eugenics in the name of empowerment? Uh, considering that the vast majority of babies being aborted are black and brown babies, that doesn't feel like that much of a leap. Um, and that they're pushing maybe misinformation in order to stay afloat, in order to make more money, in order to keep funding the Democratic Party. You think that's possible? I do. Now, typically at this point, uh, a pro-choice person gets very defensive and frustrated. You've probably noticed that if uh, if you've spent any amount of time engaging with a pro-choice person, they move the goalposts a lot. Uh, first, they might say that a fetus isn't a human. You disprove that. Then they say a fetus isn't a person. You push back on that. Then they say even if the fetus is a person, they still don't have the same rights as a mother. And you say, sure, they might not have the right to vote. They might not have the right to bear arms, for example, but they are a person. And so at the very least, they should have a right not to be killed, right? Like you would agree that all innocent people are entitled to not be dismembered or poisoned, right? Like at the very least, uh, they won't answer you. But they may say, well, okay, I'm not for it. Uh, 
I'm for the choice. I wouldn't have one myself, but women should have the right to choose, they would say. Then you ask why. Do you apply that reasoning to rape or any other form of murder? Should people legally have the right to choose to murder? Should they legally have the right to choose to rape someone? Uh, They might say, well, that's different. The government shouldn't have a say in what we do with our bodies. Okay, well, almost every law that exists dictates what you can do with your body. Uh, You are free to use your body how you want until you use your body to harm someone else or someone else's property. Uh, Rape laws are a restriction on your body. Uh, Theft laws are a restriction on your body. Murder laws are a restriction on your body, telling you what you cannot do to your bo- or with your body. Uh, no one is free to do what they want with their bodies when they are harming someone else with it. Okay, they'll say, uh, but being an abortion doesn't stop abortion. It just makes it more dangerous, coat hangers and all of that. Uh, one, first, you should ask them where they got that information because I haven't seen the data that actually backs that up. Uh, the number of women who were dying from illegal abortions was about the same before Roe as it was after Roe. And two, even if that were true, does that mean that there shouldn't be a law against it? Murder laws don't stop all murders. Rape laws don't stop all rape. So should these things just be legal? No law stops all crime. Uh, but we have laws anyway. Why? Because we value human life and therefore we believe that there should be a punishment for abusing or killing it because that is justice. Uh, so if you're going to argue that we shouldn't have abortion restrictions because it's not going to help much anyway, uh, then I'd like to see you make that same argument for other restrictions and other laws. Uh, then they'll probably just ignore you and they'll say, okay, well, what about rape and incest? To which you say... I think racists are the most, or racists, rapists and racists are the most uh, vile human beings to ever walk the earth. And they should go to prison for the rest of their lives and should be punished as harshly as humanly possible for their disgusting crime. And family members who do the same, who who rape, should possibly be given even harsher punishments. Um, Yes, the dad who rapes his 13-year-old daughter and gets her pregnant should go to prison for the rest of his life in in solitary confinement, if I had it my way. And unless he repents and knows Jesus, he is going to spend the rest of all of eternity rotting in hell. He is disgusting and the scum of the earth. So you would say, I feel your anger uh, towards these people, and I feel your sadness for these victims. However, rape and incest account for less than 1% of all abortions, so it would not make any sense to create an entire law based on a small exception to the rule, which is what most abortions, uh, which is that uh, most abortions are done for convenience. And the solution, by the way, to rape and incest is not murder. Uh, There are right now thousands of families, thousands of families waiting to adopt. Am I saying that I am happy for someone to carry a child to term after she has been raped? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I wish that that had never happened to her, but we have to be able to separate the atrocity of rape from the reality of unborn life, no matter how that life is conceived. Uh, It's still a life because again, there is no logical reason to deem an unborn life, no matter their conception, anything other than a human. And if a human, then a person. And if a person, then a value. 
Um, And then they say, well, what about the cases where a mother's life is at risk? Well, any pro-life law is going to have an exception for the life of the mother when it is a physical life versus a physical life, not the physical life of the baby versus the emotional trauma of the mother, not the physical life of the baby versus the convenience of the mother, but truly a physical life versus a physical life. And we believe that these lives are equal in personhood, then yes, a choice must be made. Now, many mothers will choose if they can to risk their own lives for the sake of the child, and that's fine. But the law is always going to allow for that choice. It should be noted, however, uh, that there is no reason, there's no reason to abort a viable uh, fetus to save the mother. So past 24 weeks, the safest thing for the mother and the child is to deliver the child. At 24 weeks, the child is viable, meaning they can live outside the womb. At 27 weeks, the child has a 99% chance of survival. So there is never any reason at this child uh, at this point that this child should die to save the mother. None. It doesn't even make any medical sense whatsoever. So that is important to note. Uh, then they say, well, what are you going to do with these babies in the adoption system and the foster care system? They say you're pro-birth. You're not pro-life. Well, they say this because they think that in order to care about people, you have to believe in big government programs that take care of people. Uh, Of course, that's not true. Pro-lifers are the ones at pregnancy centers, helping these women find shelter, uh, parenting classes, even helping with the citizenship process, the adoption process. It is pro-life Christians who are doing the majority of the adoption and the fostering, by the way. So if you are a pro-choice person, ask yourself what you are doing, because if you are talking to a pro-lifer, chances are they are doing a lot more than you are to help people who are already born. That's just true. I mean, the statistics show time and again that it is conservatives and particularly conservative Christians that are paying them, that are uh, giving the majority of charity in this country that are uh, donating their time, their energy, their money, doing the most volunteer work. These are people who are pro-life, particularly pro-life Christians who are doing uh, the bulk of this work. They don't just believe that we uh, vote for a politician to be compassionate on our behalf. They are actually out there on the ground doing it. So if you are a pro-choicer who is going to launch that kind of question as a at a pro-lifer, know that you're actually going to get a tangible answer for what they do to help the born. And if you don't have an answer for that, I would just go ahead and not ask it. Uh, Planned Parenthood, by the way, does not help victims of rape and abuse. Uh, people who don't have homes or shelter or who need help with citizenship or parenthood classes, they don't do anything for them. They kill their baby. That is the extent of their so-called compassion. Um, Then a pro-choicer might bring up war or the death penalty. Well, if you think that joining the military voluntarily or executing uh, a violent murder is the same as dismembering an unsuspecting, helpless, moving, living child inside the womb, then I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Anyone using a quarter of their brain can see the difference in that. Uh, In both the death penalty and a war, the people being killed had a choice. Uh, In war, the choice uh, they made to join the military is a valiant choice. For the murderer, it's a cowardly choice that they made. And in both cases, though, it is a choice. The unborn child who's killed does not have a choice. Now, I have also talked about the death penalty on a previous podcast, and I'm trying to remember which podcast it was. Probably back in May, at the beginning of May. I don't remember the episode, but I have talked about the Christian perspective of the death penalty before. Um, If they try to give you, if a pro-choicer tries to give you this, the whole, okay, you're in a room and you can only choose between the five-year-old and a thousand uh, embryos that are being 
frozen for uh, IVF or something like that. Uh, and they say, okay, you have to choose. And they say, if you choose the five-year-old, then that obviously means that you don't believe that unborn life is really valuable and that's why abortion is okay. Well, that's stupid because that situation doesn't actually parallel what happens in an abortion. You're not choosing between a thousand embryos and a five-year-old, or you're not choosing if you want to try to parallel it to abortion, the mom and the child, it's not a life and a life. This is not a, a life and death situation that you're talking about here. You're talking about the convenience or the uh, emotional health or whatever of the mother and the physical life of the child. So it's not the same thing at all. And just because you ascribe more value to one person doesn't mean that the people that you don't choose aren't actually people. I would choose to save my daughter over a thousand other people, but that doesn't mean that those people aren't valuable. And that certainly doesn't mean that those people aren't people. But yes, of course, I value my daughter over the lives of other people, but that doesn't take away the personhood or the objective value of everyone else. So this is just, uh, it's very stupid. It's very stupid. Uh, in everything, in every argument, they want to obscure the fact that there is actually a life inside the woman's body. They want you to focus on just the woman, on her convenience, on her future, on her mental, emotional health, whatever it is. Uh, they will tell you that someone or that this child is going to be poor, that this child is not wanted. But again, are you saying that because someone is poor, because someone uh, goes into the adoption system, because someone is unwanted, that they're not worthy of life, they shouldn't be given a chance at life? Okay, then why don't you apply that to people outside of the womb? Why don't you believe in killing orphans now? Why don't you believe in killing homeless people now? If being poor or being in the foster care system is really uh, worse than being dead, then you must also believe that the most compassionate thing to do is to kill orphans and homeless people. But of course, you're not going to say that. Most pro-choice people will go back again on the faulty premise that, oh, well, a child is still in the mom's womb. Okay, so what? That's location. Are you going to kill someone based on their location? Again, based on their stage of development? Why? It just becomes very illogical. You might also hear them say, well, this is just men controlling women's bodies. This is the patriarchy. Again, that's not true. It is majority of women in the pro-life movement. It is women who lead pro-life organizations. It is mostly women who run the pro-life clinics. That doesn't make any sense at all. I do not care what you do with your body. Uh, you do have the freedom to have as much sex as you want to have, unprotected sex. I'm not going to say, you know, anything about that from any kind of legal perspective. I don't care what you do with your body, but when there is another body involved, when there's another human being involved, yeah, I, I believe that you shouldn't kill that human being, of course, just like you believe that I shouldn't kill uh, another human being, of course. Um, the thing is, everyone in the pro-choice movement is fighting for themselves. Everyone in the pro-life movement is fighting for someone else. It's not about control. It has nothing to do with bodily autonomy. It has to do with what is right. It has to do with stopping violence against helpless individuals who happen to be inside the womb.
And there are so many resources headed up by pro-lifers, particularly pro-life Christians that help not just children inside the womb, but children outside of the womb and the mothers who find themselves in crisis. Um, from a Christian perspective, we understand we understand why there is no logic to the pro-abortion movement because they have been completely deceived. They are darkened in their understanding, as Ephesians 4 says. They are callous. They are hardened in their hearts. Again, I would go back to episode 113 and uh, listen to that and some previous episodes where I talk about the pro-abortion position from a Christian perspective. Uh, we understand that this is exactly what happens. The glorification of abortion is exactly what happens when you exchange the God of Scripture for the God of self. Uh, when doing what you want becomes more important than doing what is right, convenience becomes a sacrament. Uh, if something stands in the way of your happiness, you remove it or you abort it. That's what happens in this self-centered culture. And we're all supposed to bow down and say, okay. Um, as Christians, there is never a reason for us to be for abortion. Psalm 139 is clear. And we have talked through that before. God values unborn life from the point of conception uh, onward. And we are supposed to reflect that love and reflect that care. And so when you are confronted with these kinds of illogical arguments in regards to abortion, it's important that you do have an answer. But more than anything, it's important that we share the gospel. It's important that we uh, put uh, actions to our words, that we are helping these women who are in crisis, that we are showing them the love of Christ, and that we are active in our faith and active in these beliefs, not just debating people on Twitter, which is really fun and actually can be useful if done in the right way and done in a wise way, but also uh, we are being the hands and the feet of Jesus. But just remember, there is not a single, there's not a single abortion argument that you're going to come across that makes any sense. There's just not. You might hear some emotional anecdotes, um, but the plural of anecdote is not data. So just remember that. And it's certainly not the a synonym of anecdote is also not truth. Um, so I hope that this was at least a little bit helpful. And if you want to go back and listen to those episodes, you can. And please subscribe on YouTube if you'd like. Follow me on social media and I will see you guys again soon. 